Wouldn't it be great if you could earn the CEUs you need by listening to a podcast? Well, now you can. We have partnered with speechpathology.com to offer CEUs on select autism outreach podcasts like this one. Just head over to speechpathology.com and sign up to enjoy unlimited access for a full year for $99. That's unlimited 24-7 access to hundreds of online courses offered for ASHA CEUs, including live webinars, on-demand videos, audio, and text courses, plus select autism outreach podcasts for just $99 a year. Finally, earning CEUs is as easy and stress-free as listening to your favorite podcast. Just visit speechpathology.com and use promo code AUTISM at checkout. That's speechpathology.com, promo code AUTISM to get started today. What an amazing episode. I interviewed Nathan Morgan. Nathan Morgan is a social worker at Milestones Autism Resources and has a background in childhood development, early intervention, and early childhood mental health. He is also an autism self-advocate who is presented on panels, at events, and on the local news. We had such a great conversation about creating accessible environments for individuals of different communication levels. Nathan does a lot of great work, but one of the things that he does that's really, really cool is since the pandemic started, he has started an online group for autistic individuals. And we talk about that group. We talk about how the pandemic and using technology has actually been a great way for people to communicate in whatever way that they feel comfortable. So we talk a lot about that and it's really, really eye-opening. We also have a really great discussion about using person with autism versus saying autistic individual. I have been really analyzing how I'm using those different terms and it was really great. Nathan does a nice job of explaining how he thinks about that. And that's really, really amazing information from him being a professional in the field and also him being an autism self-advocate. So sit down, get ready. This is going to be a great one. And let's play that music. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Thanks for joining us on episode 16 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. My name is Rose Griffin, and I am here to help you learn strategies you can use in your therapy sessions tomorrow to help your students. Today, we have Nathan Morgan with us. Thanks for joining us, Nathan. It's so nice to have you on. Thank you for having me. I know that you are a social worker and an autism self-advocate. Can you tell us a little bit about you and your journey? So that's actually one of the, I think one of the more interesting things that I like to start about myself is I was diagnosed with autism when I was a kid. So like many of your listeners, I uh, went to speech therapy when I was a kid. I went to OT, um, behavioral supports when I was a kid, IEP, all of those. But then through my journey, I got into social work and I thought, how could I give back? How could I help support other individuals with autism? How could I help support our community? And so I, I 
got my social work degree and started working in the early childhood mental health field and was doing some home-based work with some families. And then I uh, started at my new job uh, at Milestones uh, a few years ago. I had had interned at Milestones when I was starting out my career and I was just so um, enamored with their vision for supporting autism and, and advocating services and supports for people with autism. So that's part of what led me down into this field. And now a lot of what I do is um, supporting families who are trying to navigate what autism means and public speaking. So lots of conferences and, and other things like that. Oh, that's amazing. And I know we had, this is the first time we're actually talking face-to-face, kind of, because it's virtual, but I have been a part of Milestones, either attending conferences almost since it started and presenting. And I've been on the autism, um, the conference planning committee, which I really, really enjoy. And so I know that I had seen you before. So it's nice to be able to kind of dig deeper into what you're doing. And Milestones is such an amazing organization. I've seen it grow from a one-day conference to a two-day conference in a much larger venue and now pivoted so nicely when the pandemic hit to being able to offer it virtually and really reach even more people. So Alana and me, I know, had a really cool story about how they started. Milestones, which I always thought was really fascinating, is that there are two autism moms who met many, many years ago in a therapy office, and they were just chit-chatting. And you know, back then, there just weren't as many supports for parents. And I can't imagine how isolated they felt. And they really had this common bond and offer so many amazing services here locally and for others. So just such a great organization. So I'm excited to have you on. I know that today we're going to be talking about creating accessible environments for individuals of different communication levels, which is something I'm super passionate about. I know in your notes in the show, you said, you know, everyone deserves a voice and whatever methods they choose to use it, which I really love because I have an autism course all about the title of it is Help Me Find My Voice. And I am very passionate too about just helping everybody. I always say, you know, increase their communication skills, become the most independent communicator that they can be, which we know is going to look different for different people. And so I'm excited to dig into that. So can you talk to us about how including technology elements for everyone can enhance communication accessibility? Oh, certainly. So I might be preaching to the choir a little bit, but with the so with the autism community, I, I know we all have various preferences for how we'd like to interact and how we'd like our thoughts to be heard by others. Um, so plenty of individuals that I've met on my journey are using communication devices to help facilitate their interactions, or maybe they communicate independently, like verbally. Some individuals may choose to use a blend of both technology and you know, verbal communication or sign language or gestures. And one of the benefits of, of being part of the autism community is having had so many opportunities to interact with so many voices. However, one of the, the pitfalls that I've seen people run into is this uh, tendency or priority to always put verbal communication at the highest pillar of interaction. And I think with the pandemic, it's just highlighted to me that we can have plenty of great conversations, you know, in a wide range of different ways using using technology, using other methods of communication. And, and so basically, how can we continue to support communication and, and elevate other preferred communication types um, to have that same equal level of prefer- or uh, playing field? Yeah, I love that idea because I know I've been doing, when the pandemic hit, I started doing teletherapy. Not completely. I've been doing face-to-face this entire school year, but I do think that it's allowed people just 
you know, if you're using Google Meet or using Zoom, you can use the chat. And that's still a very valid way to communicate. I think sometimes if you're a speech therapist and you're listening, sometimes it's hard because we may feel that like, yes, this person's communicating and it's spontaneous and that's really amazing. And then we might be getting pressure because we have a goal that's on the IEP, you know, IEPs, right? That that might be verbal or that parents might be really pushing for verbalization. So I think it's kind of good to have that flexible idea that, you know, this is still communicating this is still really valid. And I do think, and I don't know if you speak to this, but you know, this virtual format, like right now today, we have our cameras on. I think sometimes people, you know, and I know we're going to talk about this really cool group that you're running online, but sometimes people may not feel like having their camera on or, you know, and that's another barrier that some students have been facing is that, you know, they might have the expectation that everybody has to have their camera on. And, you know, some days you may not feel like that. You might still be engaged, but do you find that? I know we're going to talk a little bit more about that in the group, but do you find in your group that some people have their cameras on one week and sometimes they have them off? Or can you speak to that a little oh, bit? I'm interested. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. No, I can even speak personally. I feel sometimes I've just clicked my camera off because I feel like it's been easier for, for me to interact. I know um, you're kind of seeing uh, maybe some of the, the twitches that I have, but I, I also have Tourette's. I was diagnosed with Tourette's when I okay. was a kid. Yeah. So sometimes I get self-conscious about it. So sometimes I'll just keep the camera off because I feel like I'm less worried and I'm less caught up in some of my own anxieties with interacting. You know, but I, I know some, several of our members will do that as well. Several members may, in one in the group that I'll, I'll talk about in a moment, if they're participating in something, maybe they'll only respond via text. Other people may be communicating through voice. And because every every avenue of communicating is acceptable through a Zoom platform or something like Google, Google Meets, you know, we could have like someone communicating verbally and someone communicating through text almost seamlessly and outside of you know, the pandemic and some of these uh, mediums that we've adopted, it's not always as fluid. It's not always as smooth to allow or, or uh, contribute um, with other communication styles. Yeah, I definitely think the pandemic has done that, has opened up our eyes that there are other ways to participate, right? Other than verbal. And that can be definitely a total communication kind of mix. I love that idea. Do you have any suggestions for incorporating technology into like live presentations or discussions? Like if you're doing a conference or a talk or anything like that, any support or suggestions you have for that? Oh, yes, absolutely. So I know with our conference over the past, well, last year and and this year, both uh, virtual, we've had the option to have a chat box for communicating to the to the speaker to com- and communicating with other people within the group. I don't want us to step away from the pandemic. I, just having this been a year where no progress is made and just regressions, I want to take what have we learned? What's working? How can we take these things moving forward? So, you know, it's something that I'd like to have a discussion with our uh, conference committee and, and other members of our committee to uh, discuss what about having a messaging app, you know, that you, members who are attending the conference can can download to their phones, for example, and every room has a, a room moderator. So maybe that room moderator could then ask those questions to the speaker. That could allow individuals who either don't want to communicate because of social anxieties, they don't feel comfortable asking a question publicly, they can still get the answers that they're looking for, but also individuals who have different communication preferences too. So I think what's good for one person is good for the community in that case. I think if we were to, to tie into technology a little bit more, even in our live presentations, when we go back to speaking in front of a whole group, some way that the, the speaker can be connected with, with what the audience is thinking as they're, as they're speaking, having a, a screen pop up with maybe a couple messages that someone who they're 
who's assisting them. A room moderator, for example, could review. Yeah, I love that idea. And I just, from just a general standpoint, I've been to some conferences before where they've used different apps to work on. There's this idea kind of in, I don't know if they talk about it in other fields, but you know, the behavioral field, this idea of active student responding. I mean, we do this mm-hmm. even, I teach at graduate level here, of course, here at Kent State. And if I'm doing an online talk, I make sure that people are participating either by talking or in the chat to make sure that they're with me, right? That they're not maybe mm-hmm. scrolling on their phone or, you know, doing all the things that we do. But this idea of active student responding, I know that I've done something with this app called Polls where, you know, people would be just presenting and they may ask a question to the audience about how they feel about something and they may vote on something. They may say like, what do you think about this? Everybody tell me a word. And then they display kind of like you said, like there would be like a part in the presentation where like all the words or all the feedback from the audience would kind of come up. So I think just in a general sense too, for anybody that's listening to a presentation, I think when we become more engaged like that, it, the information feels more powerful. I'm going to remember, you know, that we we did it that way, that we engaged with it, that they asked us that certain question. And I think even on a smaller level, because um, I know we're talking more about like a conference and I think that's great. But anytime I do any type of presentation, I always encourage people to, you know, type in the chat. Even if it's like, I just did a presentation last week for some local SLPs about teletherapy and I couldn't see them because I was using Google Meet and I just had my own computer and I'm just not that tech savvy, so I could only see my slide deck. But I said, there was a moderator in the room and I said, you know, let me know about this or what's a struggle for you. And she kind of collected some of the answers and kind of let me know um, and kind of conveyed that information. But I like that idea and that flexibility that there are lots of different ways to to communicate. And that idea of like, even if you're not comfortable putting something in the chat, potentially because you have social anxiety or you don't want to ask that type of question, that you could potentially use the moderator or another go-to person to convey that information to the speaker. So I love that idea. I know that you run an online social community for adults, and I'm super excited to learn about this. I've always been super passionate ever since I became a speech therapist, which was almost 20 years ago, about group therapy. I just really love trying to work on peer-to-peer interactions um, that can be so challenging for some of our students. And oftentimes in a public school, I'm working with students of various abilities of communication. So just really making that a powerful moment for everybody. So I'm excited to hear about this group. Can you tell us a little bit about the group that you're running? Oh, I'd be thrilled to. It's actually been a very exciting journey for me doing this. If you had asked me uh, a year ago if I would be putting something like this together, I I would probably say, no, how would I do that? And I've learned a lot along the way. Um, So uh, starting uh, back in September, we, uh, through Milestones, launched an online social group through the Discord social media platform. Discord is kind of like a, a messaging app and it uh, offers like voice chat options and other things. And it's used a lot by gamers. So when we were looking into platforms, I, I reached out to a lot of other self-advocates and I asked, um, what types of groups are you using? What kind of platforms are you using? And it was a pretty common trend. A lot of our the people I talked to already were using that. So, And it had a lot of the features built in that, that we were looking for text chat, like almost if you if you can kind of think back to maybe the the late 90s, early 2000s, the AOL instant messenger, the MSN messenger, where you're seeing people responding in real time, and you have a group and people can just chat and interact that way. People could embed pictures like of memes and their cat pictures and cat videos and other things like that. So it's a very fluid way of text-based communication that the group liked. And there's also the option for private like voice chat rooms. So like the group, not open to the community as a whole, not open to like the whole public, right. but only members within the group. So 
we were always kind of looking for safety features and how could we keep the group closed but still accessible. And so, so that's why we selected that platform. Through this process, we, we developed a focus group. We developed rules for our community because exactly as, as you mentioned, like that peer-to-peer model is what we're looking for. At the end of the day, we don't want this to be Milestone's group. We don't want this to be Nathan's group. We want this to be our group, our community's group. So over the past six months, we've slowly grown. We're up to just shy of 40 members and still growing, still getting some some interest. Some of our members are on every single day. Some members are on every other week. And we have some members who just want to read and just want to interact and hear the discussions that other people are having. Maybe they're, they're not ready yet for that kind of a conversation, or maybe they just don't want to. Maybe they don't feel that that's the use that they, they want the, the group for. But we've created a number of different chat rooms within the group. And the topics range from self-advocacy to getting support with uh, being a college student mm-hmm. to we are having discussions about pets and animals. Um, mm-hmm. People talked about the Super Bowl a little bit yesterday. We've had lots of video game discussions, anime discussions music, you know, so we're having lots of conversations that are of interest to our self-advocate community. And the reason for that is, is, you know, so, so we're supporting each other through our own shared interests. Right. And I think that's kind of what makes the model work. And I think that's what's uh, been able to drive some of the engagement is we're a supportive community of each other. And we use our interests to, uh, enhance our interactions and, and support each other rather than necessarily just sitting around talking about like a dedicated problem each week. Mm-hmm. The, the chat room is open 24-7. So we have some members who work, you know, late into the evening, get mm-hmm. home, post at two o'clock in the morning when they're mm-hmm. home from work. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have other individuals who kind of follow a, you know, school schedule. And so when they, they post when they get off of school. So, so that's been really interesting to see people who might not normally cross paths are able to engage and build some relationships as well. But in addition to that uh, 24-7, you know, chat room, we also try to have some structured scheduled events so that um, people who prefer a more structured activity also have opportunities to engage. So through that, we've uh, picked up like video game nights or card game nights. Uh, something that our group's been really excited about is uh, talking about Magic the Gathering and that card game and opportunities for face-to-face and in-person options as well. So um, as we're approaching our six-month anniversary for our group at the end of March, we're looking into having a town hall where our community is going to, as a group, decide what is our path forward. So we'll hope to... uh, we, we always hope to uh, engage the, the voices and feedback of our community um, in, in developing our programs. Oh, I love that. That's so cool. I, uh, that's so nice. Well, because I, I mean, I feel like sometimes it's hard for people to, especially if you're living in a smaller community and, and you know, I'm not sure the specifics. I do want to learn more about that. I mean, I think sometimes even if you just have a special interest, just not even saying you're autistic, but or have a, you know, some type of communication concern, it sometimes it can just be hard to connect with people who have the same interest as you. So, I mean, that's why the internet is really nice. I actually just got on Reddit. I don't know if you're on Reddit, but, you know, some of these subreddits kind of lend itself to this idea of, you know, like we 
when you said some people are just on and they want to consume the information, right? I'm new on Reddit. So I'm on my little subreddits that are important to me, you know, speech, ABA, you know, those types of things. And, you know, at first I'm just kind of consuming, right? Because I'm just kind of reading. I talk to my students about, you know, reading the room, right? Every kind of social situation is different. Every kind of social media platform is different. And I think it just takes time until, you know, for me, just feeling comfortable like, okay, this seems like an okay way to participate on this platform. But that's really nice that everybody can kind of consume the information in a way that might be helpful for them. So, okay, I have a question about this Discord. Is that what it is? The messaging app? So on Discord, because I just, I haven't heard of that. Is it just audio or can you do anything with video? Or I know you said you can send pictures and things like that, but is it, is it just audio or can you make a video and upload that too? How does that work? So you can upload videos through, like you can, uh, like if you create your own video, you can upload it into the chat itself, or you can do like a live, like as we're like I know the audience can't see, but like right now I can can see you recording and you can right. see me talk. You can do that real time video interaction. You can also do screen sharing. So we not too long ago played a game called Drawful Two, which is oh. almost like Pictionary, oh. um, but it's uh, like a computer game. Nice. Um, and so one of our members shared their screen, and we could see what was going on on the screen, and the rest of us participated um, in the voice and text chat. So we had like three different ways of interacting and communicating. Yeah. We had, you know, video, we had text, and we had audio. So we're, we haven't fully utilized all of the features that Discord has to offer. Uh, that's something that, um, because we're still new and we're still growing, and I'm still learning about the platform myself, right. as I use it, I'm learning new features every day. Not that this is an advertisement, <laughs> but with the group, you know, we're trying to figure out how can we best support the community as we're growing. So right. that's why we're always looking into that feedback too. Like maybe we could use our video chat features a little bit more. Uh huh. Yeah, um, that's cool. That's a really. But we're also able to link in like Zoom and other things too. So like we have had like presentations scheduled where we've just put the Zoom information where rather than you know, just distributing it through email or through other avenues, we'll just, we create an announcement section on the site so that, you know, you can just go to that and see what's coming up for the next week, what activities are going to be planned and get all of your Zoom information and, and stuff to join in on a, a specific activity that way too. Oh, that's cool. I love that. So how, I love that you guys started this group. I can imagine that it's really some, a highlight for a lot of people. I know I like connecting with, you know, different people that have shared interests and kind of having that idea of, you know, a network of your people. And I think that's really, really cool. I know that I'm in a lot of different groups and we talk about similar types of things and it's really nice to have that. That kind of community. So, so how do people get into the group or what are the specifications? How could somebody, is it just people that are local? We're both here in the Cleveland area. So is it people just that are kind of in this area now or, you know, how old do you have to be in the group or are there any specifications as far as that is concerned? So individuals who are ages 16 and up can join. While I don't have the exact statistics in front of me right now, I'd say the majority of our members probably fall between the 19 and 30 age range okay. with some individuals who are like 16, 17, 18. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have plenty of members who are 35 and up. I know okay. of a handful of members who are who are older. So So we do have, you know, that lower age limit is 16, mm-hmm. but the upper age limit is, you know, as high as people feel comfortable. We are always trying to make sure that we're creating events that are of interest. So of course, some individuals, you know, may not feel like if, if that they're 
overlapping with common interests for some people. As we grow, we've found that more connections have been able to be forged just because there are more, you know, happy circumstances where people are interacting and talking about the same thing at the same time and like, oh, hey, you like what I like. Let's talk more. Um, But with regards to region, I think we are more local to Ohio right now because we are doing a lot of our sharing about it through service providers and other Mm -hmm. um, groups here. So I think that's where a lot of our group has come from, but we're actually open to everywhere. One of our members, actually one of our moderators was born in Canada and lives out of state. Um, And we have other members who are like living in Alabama, Florida. We have, you know, so, so we're getting some members who are, who are hearing about it. They're not finding, you know, a group like this in their space and they're, they're joining the group. So Hmm. As we're kind of looking into what our future looks like post-pandemic, you know, what might some of our online events look like if we're also going to try to incorporate some of our, some in person. So we always want to make sure because our members are joining an online platform first, that the offline is secondary. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I think it's great just because I know I tend to, in my practice as a clinician, work with students in middle school, high school. And I just, I feel like, and I'm sure you can speak to this, but I feel like as individuals with autism get older, I feel like it's harder to access services or just access any kind of networking opportunities or this amazing group that you've started. I just feel like so many people are focused on younger students, which, you know, I still have some younger clients and I'm passionate about that too, but I always feel really passionate about helping older students because I feel like there's just not as many services or maybe it's harder to find out about those different supports. Would you, do you, do you agree with that as being a person with autism or what are your thoughts on that? I think you're right. I think you're right. I, um, so my background, uh, so as a person, as an adult with autism, I know that it's harder for me to find services and resources for myself. Yeah. Through my social work background, I, of course, I'm not saying that it's easy to find resources for younger kids or uh, right. younger teens and stuff as well. There's still a shortage, I think, across the board for all age ranges. But when you get into adulthood, I think there's just a dramatic drop off. I think we've had this myth for so long that autism is a condition of childhood um, and that we haven't paid enough attention to what comes after, what happens at 18, what happens at 22, what happens at 40, right? you know, what happens at retirement age. And as our autism community is growing, I think we're, we have a lot of adults who are, who are very vocal about a need for adult supports. So part of when we were creating our group, that's why we selected um, age 16 at the youngest. We wanted to make sure that we were tapping into some of the people who were preparing to transition into like, adulthood and who were starting to feel more ready to engage um, in that side of their, of their life. With groups too, though, um, when I was searching, there was a little bit here and there for like the younger teens, like 13 to, and usually those were through the school. Mm-hmm. But when you're you're an adult, most of your groups are through college and college isn't always accessible for everyone. Right. You know, college isn't always going to be the path that some people are going to take. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the, the college groups don't have like open, you know, attendance, like people off the street can just kind of walk into right. the college and join the group. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it can be a lot more limiting when you're an adult. If you're not finding your friends through work or through college, you know, then where are you going to find them? 
So I think that it's been very important. Yeah. And I I mean, I think that's hard for anybody. Like once you, you know, if your friends don't come from school and work, I mean, especially now with the pandemic, right? Where a lot of us are connecting online like this, but if, you know, it's just harder to make friends. I mean, I think for everybody, once, you know, if you don't, if you're working from home, even like pre-pandemic, I mean, it's just really hard to connect with people because it's just so different. Um, And it's nice that the internet is such a a place to connect virtually. And now that I think that the pandemic happened, like we've kind of said, like, it's just, you know, it's completely normal. Like there's some people I know that I work with for my like different businesses that I probably may never ever meet in real life, that kind of IRL in real life. But, you know, I'm okay with that. Like, it's okay. Like these are people I'm super connected with for whatever reason. And it's just a different way of thinking. So I, I love that this group, because I think so many people are benefiting from that. And I really love that. Um, one of the things I know we were chatting before before I hit record that I was hoping that you could touch on a little bit is the idea of, you know, we as related service providers have been usually taught in our graduate coursework to say, you know, I work with a student with autism, I'm helping an individual with autism. We were always, always taught to use person-first language. Doing this podcast, it really meant a lot to me to have on people with autism, people who are, you know, autism families, providers that are supporting people with autism. And I was wondering if today you would talk a little bit about this idea of, you know, should we say autistic? Should we say person with autism? I was telling Nathan before this that, you know, I've been doing a lot of researching into the neurodiversity movement and really just asking people before they have them on the podcast, you know, do you want me to say autistic? Do you want me to say person with autism? And I've kind of been going back and forth. So I know I'm probably going to get some feedback about that. But I wanted Nathan to speak about that today because I know a lot of people are just wondering, you know, what should we say? What is wrong? And I'm always afraid to say the wrong thing because I don't want to offend anybody. So can you talk to us a little bit about that, Nathan? Yeah, that's a, a very big question. I, I know sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but it is. So I'm self-advocate and I have my own experiences when I'm when I'm talking about myself, but then I'm also a professional. So I was kind of like pushed, like I have like both sides, like, like right. autistic and, you know, person with autism. I personally prefer to refer to myself as autistic. And so through my training, though, what I've learned is, is some people do prefer the, the person first language. So my one of the main strategies that I use is I try to listen to what the other person is saying and how they're referring to themselves and their experiences. And I'll try to copy or, or use that. I don't know if there's a one-size-fits-all approach because I've talked to some self-advocates who don't like being referred to as autistic because there has been the tendency to use it as a slur. I know sometimes if you're online, you might see you know, very charged statements. So for example, some online bullies have used, uh, created a term called weaponized autism. Um, mm-hmm. And you might see that in some online circles where it's like a 4chan thing and it's used to talk about how it's, it, that doesn't really matter. But it, there, there are ways that people have used autism online to be offensive oh. towards self-advocates. Okay. Um, but there have also been ways where if you're talking about person with autism, it can downplay you know, how integral, you know, you're not, you know, a person with darker hair color, you're, you know, you know, you're, you're a brunette or you're blonde or you're, Mm -hmm. you know, so I think sometimes if you use the person first language, it can almost feel like autism is this disabling condition that you're, you're trying to detach from the person. Yet I view my autism from a place of pride and I, 
I think that it gives me a unique perspective. And I think we all have our unique perspectives, whether we have autism, whether we have other backgrounds, you know, I think we should be accepting of our, of how, of how unique we are and, and what we have to contribute not just focusing on on autism as something that needs to be treated, but focusing on autism as a very real part of who we are that's inextricably linked to, to our identities. And many self-advocates choose to use or say, I'm autistic mm-hmm. because it's so connected to who we are. Okay, great. Thank you so much for sharing that. that. That's really powerful. So I always ask everybody the last question here. So I'm going to kind of wrap it up. I've had a great time chatting with you, but what is the most important piece of advice that you would want to pass along about supporting autistic individuals? If you could give us one gem of thinking going forward, what would you want to share? I would say give everybody with autism a platform to share about their own experiences. I've been very privileged that I've been able to present at conferences, that I've been able to come on this podcast to speak with you today, and that I've been able to be a part of a group where I've been able to share my voice and share my own perspectives. We need more opportunities for individuals who identify as autistic or um, who have a diagnosis of autism to share their voice, to share their experiences through media, through interactions. So I think whenever there's the opportunity to elevate a self-advocate voice, I think that's a good place to start. Really taking home the message of nothing about us without us. Because the autism community is so vast, we have so many different experiences. Um, What I've shared today is just representative of of my experiences. Mm -hmm. And the next self-advocate you may have on your your, uh, podcast will have their own stories to share. And I think that creates a larger whole. So so really continue to elevate self-advocate voices because we have really awesome things to say. Oh, I love that. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that, Nathan. Thanks for joining us today. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you? So I can be accessed through milestones.org. We have our free help desk where we help connect families with services. We have our conference that's coming up and I'm always open to have a chat so people can find my contact information on there. Okay, amazing. And make sure to check the show notes for resources we discussed. I hope that you enjoyed the show. And if you haven't done so already, make sure to hit subscribe and write a review. Remember to keep things fun and functional and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.